I have been studying and my personal reading has uh, brought me to a place where I'm reading Old Testament scripture in Daniel and New Testament scripture in the book of Revelation. And I've really been taking my time and going through it and reading a lot of commentary too to try and get as much out of it as I can. So um, I've seen some things and I'm excited about uh, these prayer meetings have been a blessing. Um, if you said, uh, hey, we got a prayer meeting to somebody outside the church, they'd probably go, oh, oh hum, you know. But they have no idea how, how alive a prayer meeting can actually be. And so we do sense the presence of God, and we know that he's here with us. So um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump right into this, and I'm going to go uh, from the book of Revelation back to Daniel and one New Testament reference and, and close with a quick word of testimony from a more modern time. And so let me get started in the book of Revelation, uh, chapter f- uh, 5, verse 6. I'll give you a minute to get there, but we're jumping into a heavenly scene. The book of Revelation is a book of uncovering. And so by having this glimpse of this incredible vision that the Apostle John saw, we have a vi- vision and a glimpse into heaven itself and some of the inner workings. Um, so in Revelation Five, uh, verse 6, um, well, I'll start in verse 5. And, and Jesus is there. This is going to feature Jesus Christ as uh, one of the elders said unto me, that would be speaking to John, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into the whole earth. And he came and he took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, every one of them having harps and golden vials full of odors or full of aromas, which are the prayers of the saints. So I did a little word search on the the phrase prayers of the saints, and it's used a few times in the book of Revelation, one of them right here. So we see that the prayers of our, our prayers are uh, a feature in heaven. They're, They're there. They're present. We also see harps. So we see harps on one side, and we see that the four and 20 elders are actually ministering. So worship, the harps, and prayer go hand in hand. They go hand in hand in heaven, just like they do here. I, I find that encouraging. The one flows, it's the left hand and the right hand, if you will. So the prayers, our prayers are there in these uh, vials. In verse 8, And when he had taken the book, and the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, they sang a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and open the seals thereof, for thou hast was slain slain and has redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred tongue, people, and nation, and has made us unto God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. So that's a promise to the four and twenty elders they're talking about that, sort of in the first person they're talking about that. And we're going to reign as kings and priests. And we also have that promise. And I just want to mention that priest is a uh, title of an intercessor. One of the main functions of a priest is to intercede. And so that's one of the main purposes of prayer is to bring, bring us to God, bring others to God. That's what we do when we intercede. So 
very significant. I want to jump just a, a, a book away into Revelation 6-9. And we, we're going to see a prayer answered here in the next couple of verses here. So this is a, a scene in heaven which is closely followed from, the, from the, the last one I read. And when he had opened the fifth seal, again, this is Christ, John saw, I saw, under the altar, the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? So here's a prayer that we see happening right here in heaven. So, again, prayer being made right in heaven, and we see in part the answer to that one chapter over. If we can go to Revelation 8, verses 1. And again, Jesus Christ here is opening seals. There's trumpets, there's angels, there's a lot of things happening, but I'm focusing kind of on the uh, theme of prayer here in heaven. And when he, that being Jesus, had opened the seventh seal... There was silence in heaven for the space of a half an hour. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer. And there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. So we see the prayers of our saints, us, right there in heaven again. If you ever wonder where your prayers go, here's where they go. So the smoke of the incense, which came, bef- came with the prayers of the saints, ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. So by that we can take it that the prayers were accepted. They were accepted by the Lord. And look what happens. Remember, we just saw where the martyrs that were slain for the witness of God were crying out, Oh Lord, oh Lord, how long? And right here... The angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and cast it into the earth, and there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. Judgment. Judgment on the world, judgment on those who reject God, and judgment on those that persecuted God's people. I believe this is a direct answer to the prayer that we saw in uh, one chapter earlier in Revelation 6. And so so this is a a very serious thing, and we see there's um, an order in heaven. Like you think, well, our prayers go up to God. Well, so they may be stored for a time. Then they may get presented to the Lord by an elder or an angel in this case. And so I find that interesting. Heaven is a busy place. God is working, and we get a little bit of glimpse of that from from John. Now I want to jump from there. So now we've we've had a glimpse into heaven is what's happening with our prayers that go up to heaven. And we look down and, and we see in Acts chapter 10... This is the story of Cornelius, and in, in Acts 10, verse 1, and I'll read it. You don't, you don't have to go there unless you want to, but there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God continually. And about the ninth hour of the day, he saw a, clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed this angel, he, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And the angel said to him, So your, your prayers and your alms have come up as a memorial before God. So Cornelius, not even a saved man, somebody who was uh, 
God-conscious and favorable for, to the Jews. So I picture the situation where you've got this uh, Gentile man, but he's praying. He's giving alms. He's trying to have a relationship with the Lord. He doesn't know exactly how to do it, but in his way he's trying. And it's so significant, I can see them talking in, in heaven. You know, Jesus is there interceding for us. He might be saying, you know, God, you're talking to God the Father, we got to do something about this guy. Look at him, look at him. He's praying. He's giving alms continuously. Maybe an elder or an angel chimed in. He goes, yeah, it's amazing. I've never seen anything like it. This is, this is incredible. Let's do something. What does he do? He sends an angel. And then he sends a big gun, Peter. Go get Peter. Brings Peter. And, and most of you know that story. So I, the rest of it is, you know, uh, to summarize, um, Peter comes and he's astonished that it's a Gentile, but the Gentile fears God and has, has prayed, and an angel talked to him as well. And he expounds the, the plan of salvation. He gets a few words out of his mouth, and the Holy Ghost falls on them all, and a, minute, a mini revival starts right there. So God answers prayer in that way, in a significant way in the New Testament. Let's, let's jump uh, back to the Old Testament. I'm going to go to Daniel. Um, I'm going to start in Daniel 10. And verse 10, and I'll just give you a little backdrop. Daniel's praying. In fact, he prayed a long, very edifying prayer I'm going to touch on in Daniel 9, just before. But I'm going to start in Daniel 10, where again, he's before the Lord. He's chastening himself. He's been in mourning 21 days, actually. And after, after... 21 days, he said, Behold, I'm reading in Daniel 10.10, A hand touched me, which set me on my knees, and upon the palms of my hands. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand that the words I speak unto thee, and stand upright, for to thee I am now sent. And when he spoke this word to me, I stood trembling. Then he said, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you did set your heart to understand and to chasten yourself before God, your words were heard, and I am come as a result of your words. But the prince of Persia withstood me 21 days. And lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. But now I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days. For yet the vision is for many days. So we, again, we see this incredible scene where a man is praying, and, and actually, uh, he's also fasting, too. He's on a restricted diet. We often call it the Daniel fast. Uh, no meat or wine or sweets or anything like that. And, and we have a clue what he was saying in the previous chapter, but I just want to point to the fact that sometimes our prayers are opposed. If you're praying for something really big, <laughs> there, there can be some, some satanic inter, you know, res, resistance. Um, we see this, I mean, it took two archangels here to wrestle the situation and break this thing loose, whereas the angel could finally come and, and talk to Daniel and, and show him what the Lord wanted to show him. So we shouldn't give up, is my point there. Uh, I think that's what the scripture teaches us, that our prayers are getting, they're going up, they're getting heard. Sometimes there's some obstacles in the spirit realm. Just, just jumping back one chapter into, into uh, what was Daniel actually praying. And um, in Daniel 
And this is a famous, one of the famous prayers of the Bible. I'm just going to read a, a few verses of it. Daniel said, I set my face towards the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplication with fasting sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. We have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled, even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Uh, Judah was captive at the time to Babylon, and so they were in a sorry state. And and Daniel was uh, lamenting and confessing and repenting and... He says, we haven't heeded your servants, the prophets who spoke in your name to our kings or our princes or our fathers and all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to us it is shame of face as it is this day to the men of the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all all of Israel and those far off in the countries which you have driven them because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. Now, in answer to this, the Lord sends him an incredible prophetic you know, revelation where he sees end time events and the next kingdoms that are coming. But my point is he was praying for revival. Revival is a kissing cousin to renewal. I'm very sure, you know, renew means to make new again or, and revive means to make alive again. So very, very uh, synonymous. Um, Brother Brian talked about renewing a right spirit. And revival starts, it's a personal thing. Daniel was... It was personal. He, his own heart, he was confessing his own flaws and his own dealings as well as the sins of the people for which he was interceding. So he was repenting and interceding all at the same time. A couple of weeks ago, Brother Rich shared in his exhortation about revival, praying for revival. And um, I came up to pray. So let me go back just before then. I would consider myself a reasonable intercessor. I can pray for souls, for salvation. I can pray for deliverance. I can pray for healing. I'd like to, I'd like to think I've done a fair share of that in my 42 years as a Christian. And, and that seems relatively easy. I'm used to keeping prayer journals, lists of people um, over the years would be in quite a large number of people, but we keep one in our home fellowship group. But when I came up to pray for revival, it was hard. I don't know if anyone else experienced this, but praying for revival is a total another level because it, it, immediately the dealing of the Holy Spirit was in my own heart and fallow ground and priorities and wow. Most of us, we haven't personally seen revival the way, you know, the first, second, third great awakening in history and, and some of the things that we've seen in the Bible so we, we read about them, but we can pray for that because we know it's possible. With God, all things are possible. But revival doesn't come cheap. You can see the effort in, in prayer that was put in by Daniel, the Apostle John, so many, Nehemiah. And, you know, there were hindrances and opposition, and I, I felt like it was... I. It took a while to begin to even think I was starting to break through, and I think it would take a lot of prayer... In Cornelius' situation, it looks like he was continually praying, and he had some history before God sent that, you know, uh, an angel to talk to him. So praying for revival is a continual thing. 
So that's, that's my own personal testimony about praying for revival. I want to talk about one last thing, and that is the revival that was caused primarily by prayer. In many revivals in history, there has been a very significant preaching uh, or a preacher that was known. He was, the word of God was there. And, and those are great and encouraging. But in all of those, prayer was a major component of that revival. And there was one revival where prayer was the major component without the preaching. And that was the prayer revival of 1857. I know a little bit about, so think first great awakening, characterized by the preaching of Jonathan Edwards and others. Second great awakening was, so that was in the early 1700s. In the late 1700s, early 1800s, we had people like Charles Finney and Methodist circuit riders and others fanning the flames of revival. But by 1850s, things had kind of died out. The country was embroiled in the slave controversy and other things. And, but in 1857, a lay minister in New York City named Jeremiah Lamphere started with six people gathered for a noontime prayer meeting in New York City. And they prayed. And because in overtime within six months, and this was aided by a recession, the stock market collapsed shortly thereafter, People were out of work, and businessmen actually had time to go to daily noontime prayer meetings. So uh, you may think, you know, having a successful business is great, and, and having a job, and it is good at one level, but if it keeps you too distracted and you never get saved, it's not so good. So that, that recession was a blessing in hindsight, because thousands and tens of thousands of people, within six months, 10,000 people were praying at noontime prayer meetings in New York City. They were limited to um, an hour, and they would limit each, each speaker, each intercessor to five minutes, and I'm sure uh, you know, some would be shorter than that. And so you would get 12, 15, 20 prayer requests in a, in a one-hour prayer meeting. And as a result of that, the newspapers took note that people were praying, they were turning to God, that there was answer to prayers, and they published it, and prayer meetings started in other cities around the country and eventually spread to Europe and Asia and around the world. Very significant. And so this small prayer meeting, and I'm quoting a, a, an essay I read on Christianity.com, of Jeremiah Lamphere on, on this day led to the Third Great Awakening. This was the first revival beginning in America with worldwide impact. It spread to Ireland, Scotland, Wales, England, Europe, South America, India, Australia, and the Pacific Islands. All classes became interested in salvation. Backsliders returned. Conversions increased. Christians desired a deeper instruction in spiritual truths. Families established daily devotions. And entire communities underwent a noticeable change in morals. Preaching, which in many places had become intellectual and lifeless, now concentrated on the truths of the gospel and his cross. As James Buchanan, a, a, a Scotland Scottish minister summarized, it was a time when which new spiritual life was imparted to the dead and new spiritual health imparted to the living. So, you never know what God can do with a few people praying. I mean, that encourages me so much. It was not characterized by a lot of, you know, preaching or a well-known evangelist or revivalist, but by simple people praying. And because newspaper men came out of curiosity, we actually have records of some of these prayers, which I've read. And guess what? They pray for the same kind of things we pray for. They pray for the salvation of a lost child, a lost loved one. They pray for healing from some debilitating disease. They pray for a backslidden son or daughter. 
In some cases, they prayed for provision. And so, very much like us, um, their needs were similar to ours. But out of that, God did something incredible. And so, I want to encourage you as you go to prayer tonight to believe that God can do something significant here. A revival will actually change the culture, one person at a time. And so, it is possible we can bemoan our culture, but the fact of the matter is we can do something about it. We can pray, and we can believe God, and it's going to start right here in each one of us. So that's what I have, brothers. And if the intercessors would come up and grab the cards, we'll pray.